In this episode, we cover cold exposure, heat exposure, different environments, and the pros and cons of both of them. As always, this is not medical advice. This is just here for informational purposes only. Always chat with your physician, with your doctor first, before you try any of these things to see if it's right for you in your current situation. Let's dive in. Okay, so let's dive into the next principle. Now, this is about different temperatures. So hot and cold are obviously not the same thing. But what often happens is the benefits of cold and the benefits of hot exposure or temperature exposure, changes in temperature, cold exposure, sauna, those kind of things get mixed up and we're told that they provide the same benefits, which isn't exactly true. So today what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the pros and cons of each of them, the science and why you may want to incorporate one and not the other or both into your lifestyle. So we'll start off with heat. Now, heat, and when I say heat, I'm referring to sauna, specifically dry sauna, we'll dive into that more in a second, um, has a whole bunch of different benefits. Now, if you've never been on, in a sauna, it's essentially a room, um, you likely know what it is, but it's a room made out of wood, and it's around 80 degrees Celsius a lot of the time, although sometimes they're a bit hotter, um, especially in countries that use a lot of saunas. Um, so what are the what are the pros? What are the benefits? Why might you consider doing this? Now, one of the first things that sort of stands out is that it decreases the risk of cardiovascular disease and mortality via cardiovascular disease. Um, it also improves things like endothelial function. And endothelial function essentially means the ability for your for your blood vessels to widen, become smaller those kind of things, essentially contracting um, and expanding based on the exposure to heat, right? They lose, or they, they don't, they aren't as stiff. That's essentially what in, endoth improvement in endothelial function means. Um, there's also, which is interesting, um, it, is, it seems to have an increase or help with, with endurance. Um, so endurance performance. So if you're someone who, li who likes doing exercise, who likes running, who likes cycling, who keeps an eye on their cardiovascular fitness, being exposed to things like heat might actually improve your performance on the cardiovascular side of things. Now, probably the biggest one that stands out, and this is really the difference between dry sauna and infrared sauna. Now, infrared sauna isn't as hot, and it uses lights, infrared light, to make you sweat, to make you heat up but it's not environmental heat in the same way that dry sauna is. So the feeling is a bit different. Now, the main difference between the two, as far as we're aware right now in terms of what's come out in terms of the science, is that dry sauna, finished sauna, those kind of things, decrease risk of dementia and Alzheimer's, which hasn't been found with infrared sauna. Now, infrared sauna is obviously a lot cheaper. So um, if you're looking, that's, that's one of the main downsides, right? If you're looking to, to have one in your house, a dry sauna is fairly expensive, an infrared sauna is quite cheap. Um, although, if you're fortunate, your gym might have a sauna as well. So what are the other things? Now, there might be elements of cerebral protection. Now, this could, be, this could tie into the Alzheimer's um, and the dementia part. Cerebral meaning your brain. Um, so essentially pr protecting your brain, right? And, the, and stress resistance. Now, probably the reason this this is important is because what you're doing when you're in an environment like the sauna or cold 
is that you're putting your body in a stressful situation. But it's not a continuous stressful situation, right? It's 20 minutes, it's 15 minutes, whatever it is of exposure to stress. And you learn to deal with it and you become more resistant to other stress later on. This isn't the case for things like when we're stressing ourselves with our thoughts all the time and we're constantly on edge about things that aren't happening and thinking about the future or thinking about the past and living in these different um, time zones that we're currently <laughs> that we're currently not, not experiencing, but a lot of people experience stress thinking about these things. One of the big things that I've noticed personally, but also has come out in terms of the science, is that heat improves sleep quality. The reason for this is when you sleep or when you go to sleep, your body temperature drops. Exposure to things like heat, sauna, those kind of things, the bigger the gap between the heat that you're exposed to and the cold that you're exposed to when you sleep, essentially the better you'll sleep. Now, obviously, there's caveats with that because it depends if obviously if you're sleeping at minus five degrees um, Celsius, and those kind of things, you're obviously not going to sleep particularly well. But if you if you get exposed to, for example, heat in terms of the sauna, and then you come home, and then you go into your room, and it's a cool room, and your bed's cool, then what will happen is your body temperature will drop faster to a place where you're sleeping well. Contrary to that, obviously, if you're having... It can happen that if you have cold exposure just before you go to bed, obviously your body will be heating itself up, exposed to stress, so those kind of things. So another way that people use this sometimes you have struggle sleeping is they have a hot shower 20, 30 minutes, an hour before they go to bed. Their body temperature drops as a consequence because the body adapts trying to regulate the body temperature. They go to bed, they sleep better, right? So it's worth noting that if you have trouble sleeping, a sauna might actually benefit you on that side of things. So there's actually a lot of things that it influences. Um, the other thing worth bearing in mind that is, is that it also impacts blood sugar regulation. Now, if we dive into cold, which is you know obviously on the opposite spectrum, what are the pros, what are the cons? Now, sauna is fairly easy. Right? There's not a lot of cons. Um, the main one being price. It's not super risky, as long as you're not being stupid going in and spending an hour and then and and you're know, putting yourself in a dangerous situation your body your heart rate will go up that's normal um and then you leave and usually what people do is they have a bit of they have a cold shower or a cold dip let their body temperature get down again and then they go back into the sauna or they can just do one um you know 15 20 minute session or you can jump back and forth do 15 15 you know 10 10 10 whatever that that kind of thing um, obviously, if you have any heart issues, those kind of things, always speak to your doctor first before you do things like, you know, sauna um, or anything, really. So anything mentioned, always check with your physician first, whether it's advisable based on your current situation. Now, cold. Cold has a lot of anecdotal evidence, meaning people that report certain things that haven't necessarily been found to be scientifically true yet. Um, I say that because a lot of the time science is based around um, anecdotal evidence, so things that people report, and then we start doing studies into those things, and we find that they do certain things or they don't do certain things. Now, one of the one of the big ones that stands out on the anecdotal side for cold is improvement in mental well-being. Um, it's sort of debated whether it has an impact on depression. 
but it seems to have an impact on general mood. Um, the reason for that being that when you're exposed to cold temperatures, you release something called dopamine, which when you come, come out of the cold and, and are back in normal life, let's just say, you feel great. Right? You feel ready to, to smash the day. Now, for me personally, probably one of the biggest things relating to cold <clears throat> is that before you get into the cold, you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. In fact, almost every fiber of your being tells you you shouldn't be doing this or you don't want to do it, right? But doing that, um, and I got this expression, I think, from Joe Rogan, is, for, from my perspective, for me personally, as someone who does it almost on a daily basis, is um, slaying my inner bitch, right? Because once you've gone into, once you've been exposed to cold, whether it's a cold shower, whether it's a sea dip, whether it's a, you know, a cold plunge, whatever it is, everything else in life feels easy because you've overcome something mentally that you don't want to do and you come out and you feel amazing, but suddenly, you know, doing whatever work you have to do feels super easy in comparison because you don't have to overcome the same mental battle to get into that situation and the mental battle to stay in that situation. So that's really on the anecdotal side. Um, if you're interested in what I do, let me know. I can always talk about it. But for now, we'll just touch on the, on the fact that, you know, it's, it's something that I do on almost a daily basis and I found benefits from it. Now, on the, it's used a lot in professional sports for things like delayed muscle onset soreness, which is essentially the, the pain that you feel in your muscles after exercise to reduce what, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness, which is called DOMS, right? To reduce DOMS, um, the main thing to bear in mind is that although it does reduce pain, it may blunt the benefits that you get from the exercise. So after exercise, the reason, one of the reasons you feel pain is you have inflammation in that area and cold reduces inflammation. So if you're jumping into a cold plunge or you're jumping into the sea, or if you're having a, you know, a long prolonged cold shower after doing strength training, you may not get the, the benefits in terms of the muscle gains um, that you hoped because of that cold exposure. So it's worth noting the time frame between the cold exposure and the exercise. So it seems to be that after 24 hours, um, it impacts things like inflammation. It's still sort of unsure whether at that point it impacts results. Probably not as much. But generally speaking, you don't want to do it immediately after exercise unless you're something like a professional athlete and the only thing you care about is reducing pain and doing the same thing tomorrow and, this, and you know training multiple times a day. So that's obviously on the pain side of things. Now, it's also worth saying that there's a lot of people that seem to benefit from it from just joint health, people that with arthritis, those kind of things, who get into a cold, come out, and then don't experience the pain um, for a day or two that they did previously, or maybe longer, who knows. Um, whenever I've been exposed to cold and I've had pain somewhere, it has gone away, anecdotally. Um, and that doesn't necessarily just include things like muscle pain, right, from exercise. So let's talk about one of the big things that's often tied to cold exposure, which is immune health obviously a big one, um, especially with COVID over the last couple of years. So there does seem to be 
a point where when you're exposed to cold, you acutely, which means for a short period of time, not, not for a prolonged period of time, release, release more of certain immune cells, which may result in fewer infections. So that might be a benefit. Now, the main thing that's been looked at in terms of cold exposure, and we'll go through the different types in a second, um, is the stimulation of something called brown adipose tissue or brown fat, it's called sometimes. So what is it? Because um, obviously you might be thinking, I don't want, I don't want extra fat, I don't want more fat, that kind of thing. Now, brown fat is essentially fat that contains mitochondria. Now, if you don't want to know mitochondria, they're essentially little organelles, um, cell, you know, little. You can think of them like little energy providers that live inside of all cells, almost, except for white fat usually is the fat that we don't really want now in brown fat is quite a significant amount of them and they produce the help with the production of heat by burning fat babies tend to have a decent amount of brown fat because they don't have muscle tissue to control body temperature so they tend to have higher levels of brown fat whereas adults and teenagers tend to have lower levels or none um, because they can control body temperature by moving and those kind of things, which babies generally can't after they're born, or at least not significantly. Um, so it seems like there may be the ability to increase brown fat with cold exposure. Now, brown fat also releases something called batokines or betokines, um, which may have other benefits. Now, the reason, obviously, it's called BATOkines is because it's brown adipose tissue, um, which essentially means brown fat, right? Now, again, there are some benefits that may occur from this, and some of them even tie into heat. Things like cardioprotective benefits, so, you know, protecting heart health, those kind of things. Um, that may help with the preservation of certain cells within the pancreas. Um, it can do things like lower fat stored specifically in the liver, potentially, so if someone's experiencing... Um, fatty liver disease, those kind, of, those kind of things, it may help with that. Um, and it could help with nerve growth and nerve development. Um, so let's dive into the, the different kinds, right? because obviously there are different ways to do cold exposure, and cold exposure is probably more, it's, it's generally speaking, more risky than heat, um, because it's harder for people to control their own behavior and to know what's right for them, what's wrong for them, how long they should do it for and not. Now, the reason, um, probably the the most dangerous thing about cold exposure is something called afterdrop, which essentially means that when you get into a cold situation, what happens is your blood vessels constrict, so they become smaller, um, and your body retains a certain core temperature on the inside, but the outside of your body gets colder. Now, when you get back out of the cold, the cold blood that's on the outside circulates into your core and it can dramatically drop your body temperature even after or as you leave or after you've left the cold environment, which people often significantly overlook. So it's important to know when to get out so you don't experience that because that can be quite dangerous. You can experience things like um, arterial fibrillations and those kind of things. So if you have heart issues, that's obviously not some not a situation you want to be in, but you don't want your core your core body temperature to drop to dangerous levels anyway. 
So it's always worth having someone around you if you're going to experience significant cold, right? When I say significant cold, I mean things like going into the sea, going into an ice plunge, those kind of things, because you may not be... There are things that people do, especially when they initially get into that kind of situation, where they hyperventilate, so they can't control their breathing because of the cold, and they just breathe very quickly. And those kind of things. So you always want people around you, people that experience, people that can swim, um, in case you put yourself in a, in a risky situation. So it may be useful to initially do things like just have a 30-second cold shower. You know, have a normal warm shower in your house, then have a cold shower. When you get out of a cold environment, put on a whole bunch of clothes and then warm yourself up by, you know, doing some star jumps, doing some sort of exercise, something like that, right? The last thing you want is your bo- is for your body temperature to dramatically drop. Now, if you're just having a 30-second cold shower, one-minute cold shower in your house, that's not going to happen. But if you're, if you're spending multiple minutes in the sea or in an ice plunge, that's something that can happen. And also, it's worth noting that water doesn't have to be extremely cold for you to get the benefits. So although cold seems to have, at the moment, fewer benefits than heat, it does seem to have benefits. So obviously, if you're going to choose one, then I'll probably primarily go with the sauna. But obviously, if you want to do both, um, I personally like both, and I get different. I feel like I get different benefits from both. Um, now, as I was saying, the temperature doesn't have to be extremely cold. Right? If you're getting into the sea and it's under 15 degrees, the water 15 degrees Celsius, it already counts as winter as as winter swimming. And you probably won't be able to stay in the water for particularly long, especially if you're quite lean um, and if you're not used to it. So just a a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes to start off with to get yourself used to it. And you can come out and over time it'll become easier and easier. But again, it's not something where you need to push yourself dramatically, right? You're just getting that exposure for one, two, three minutes, depending on how cold it is. And then you're coming out and you'll you'll reap the benefits um, from that and obviously as i already mentioned from the sauna there are different protocols and we can go into them another time but you know it's usually 10 15 minutes or 20 minutes in one go depending on how you how used how used you are to to heat um and just paying attention to how you feel that's really that's really a big part of it Now you have another principle to add to your life. Enjoy it, try it out if it's suitable for you and let me know what benefits you experience.